Welcome to the BU Your Story, Your Purpose podcast. Today, my guest is Saloni Sura. Dr. Saloni Sura is a published author of her first children's book, Flora Investigates, The Case of the Missing Gold Eggs. This is a funny, zany book for five to nine-year-olds. She is also an HIV and sexual health consultant and has a PhD in HIV infection and drug use. She has worked with marginalized populations all over the world. Working in her particular area of medicine, Dr. Sura became acutely aware of the mind-body connection with regards to ill health and well-being. She has an active interest in meditation, self-development, and other healing modalities. She also works as a spiritual coach using EFT and energy work. Welcome, Saloni. I'm so glad that you could be here with us today. I'm hoping that you can just start off with telling us a little bit more about yourself and your journey, you know, why you're at in the place where you're, you're at now. Sure, of course. So it's a bit of a um, long-winded journey, or it's not a straight path, shall I say, and it's a bit of a mishmash. But um, yes, like you say, I am a doctor in HIV sexual health, and um, I, gosh, I graduated like early 2000s now, so it's a long time ago. The funny thing about training to become a doctor wasn't expecting to go down this route but anyway is you know you start when you're about 16 like you start preparing and interviews and stuff and then you know you graduate when you're in your 20s and then you know you change and life happens um so it's something that I have enjoyed a lot it's been good and bad lots of sacrifices lots of good times but I settled on HIV and sexual health probably you know, it's the coach coming in that I love that area of transformation. And I like talking to people and meeting people from all over. And I was very blessed um, in the area of medicine that I worked in and that I did that. Um, so yes, I, I am a HIV sexual health consultant, and I have a PhD on HIV and drug use. And when I started working on the PhD is when I started to write. So prior to that, I was doing some personal development, law of attraction stuff, Reiki, primarily because I wanted to meet a man because I was single. And um, I was like, there's something going on here. I have to, you know, sort this out and fix it. And as you know, for us girls, if we want children, there's that body clock ticking and all of that. So I'd, I'd started my spiritual journey before um, and had been working away on that. And then in 2010, I started to write. Um, and the funny thing is, um, you know, I remember going to a psychic in 2000. I was a medical student at that time. My granddad had died and it was my first backpacking trip. And I was off to Australia with some friends. And I think my granddad passed the night before I was supposed to go. So it was touch, touch and go as to whether or not I'd make it. And this was before the times of mobile phones. So I remember turning up at the airport. My friend was like, you're late. And I was like, granddad just passed. Anyway, we were in Sydney and I remember getting this um, reading from this psychic, you know, we just thought we'd go as a bit of fun. And she said to me at the time, you know, you're, you're going to be a writer and travel the world. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, no, it just wasn't on the cards. Anyway, in 2010, after being told by lots of people like my um, astrologer and everything that I should write, I started probably doing the PhD. I had a bit of time to myself. Um, and so I started writing about, I think it was dragons at that point. Um, so it was a total contrast to the HIV and drug use and the scientific writing. So it's very formulaic. You know, you have your aim, your hypothesis, your description, your methods. Um, so it was totally different. Um, yeah, it's like free form. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just want to interrupt really quickly so just so that people understand your accent. So you're not from Australia. You're from 
the UK, right? I'm from the UK. Yes, I, I, I've worked all over. I did live in Australia for a year. Um, I yes, I'm from the UK, the north north of north UK. So I'm from a little place called Chester, which is close to Manchester and Liverpool. So you may know, but you may not. I suppose uh, football, or hang on, it's close to Wrexham. So if you're into Ryan Reynolds and the football club, it's literally just over the border. Um, Wonderful. So it's funny that it's become famous for that. But yeah, um, yeah, from the UK. Fantastic. Thank you for explaining that. Okay, back to your story about writing more fantasy stuff, right? Yes, mag- magic stuff, basically. So it was, you know, magic. So I write about magic, basically. And um, I weave those magic threads in the book. So, you know, the the magical books, but they're also books of the theme. Because, you know, I've I've seen a lot, um, a lot of poverty, illiteracy, sexual abuse, you know, rape. I worked as a forensic uh, sexual assault examiner for a little bit um you know drug use so I've heard it all and for me it's important to have a theme and you know really looking after that chaos um and it was a pleasure and a privilege to do that um I wanted to inspire you know I wanted to you know I I was having people coming in things weren't going to change for them they were where they are in their, their lives but for me it's it was really about well how can we make things better and you know children is, is where it's at so if you can inspire them to dream so Flora's really a book about a girl who has a dream who doesn't give up it's a lot of fun you know there's gold eggs and there's a flying boat and you know there's a, a crazy cheese-eating dancing flying pirate and a hunter and a lot of cats but it's really a book about a girl who has a dream and who goes for it and who doesn't give up um, probably much like me and you know publishing books and at one point doing my PhD because that was a hard slog as well um, but, you know, it was to kind of inspire children to say, dream, keep on dreaming, because some children don't get anyone reading to them or telling them that they can do things um, or that anything is possible. And, you know, that's what I want to do is to say, yes, you can do it and anything is possible. Um, you know, I'm a change agent, really. That's that I was redoing my um, website, so it, I, I'll be putting a coaching page on there. But I'm a change agent. I love to see transformation change. So when you started writing, was that part of the reason for it, a a therapy for you too, after, you know, seeing so much difficulties within your own line of work? I think so. Yeah. So it was funny. I, I, my first book, I need to pull up and you know, it's calling to me again, but that will be a total scrap. And that was, I was writing my story. Basically, I realize now, um, and then, you know, the books have all been themes of things I've gone through. Yeah. Um, and you know other people so I've, I've got a fairy book coming out next year and it's about a bit of forbidden friendship between a fairy and a human girl and you know wings are at risk because the fairy forest is at rest you know and, and humans mm-hmm. are, are taking it and it's a book about having your wings clipped and how it happens to us all in life unfortunately or most of us and you know how we get that back and how we forgive and move on and you know I've seen that in my children as well unfortunately so it's um you know I, I was literally this morning finished the edits to, to go back to the editor and I was like you know the last time I wrote it I was looking at this going gosh this is me and this is you know I've had these conversations with my children and you know how many of us does this happen to you know right that's that's amazing I love that you have you know put your energies not only in the scientific world but also in this this realm of dreaming and 
exploring possibilities. I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. I'd love to go into your your medical career a little bit because that yeah. has been a, a quite a journey there. I'm and I'm just curious, you know, after reading your biography mm-hmm. or your your intro, um, this what you got your your PhD in HIV infection and drug use. Yeah. So is there? I'm just curious because I. I've always heard of HIV been like a, a blood transfusion or a sexually transmitted disease. Um, so what is there a connection between HIV and drug use? Like how does that how did you connect the two? Yes, it, there is. So and it's to, to, to do with blood. Like So it's kind of akin to blood transfusion. So um, I was thinking about this earlier, you know, when we and HIV initially came about, there were certain cohorts or populations that we saw it in, you know, men who have sex with other men, certain ethnic minorities, blood transfusions, and then drug users because of sharing needles and injecting equipment. That's true. Got it. So that that was that was kind of it. And Dublin, where I worked, did my PhD, was rife. You know, it was very poor. There was a, it was flooded with heroin, and it was rife. And they had these shooting galleries, so you go and share needles, or, or they'd rent them out. Um, so there were other cities, like in the UK, I think Liverpool um, might have been they they tidied it up, so they they put in clean needles but some cities they were like no if we don't give clean needles they won't use and they did and so you have historically these cities where that you know the public health or and the police policy was prohibitive and that's where the rates shot up um so, so that's it and obviously a lot of these individuals now you know the hiv risk has gone down but the hepatitis c is the big one All right it just keeps going so mm. that's and i can understand how that would work into working with marginalized people so how how are you able to work with marginalized people all over the world then like what what led you to those avenues um so obviously if you work in the field of hiv and sexual health you have people from everywhere so i worked in london i worked in in dublin i worked in australia for you but i wasn't doing hiv um and there's people from all over so you know i've um, looked after, yeah, people from, you know, the African continent, the Asian continent, drug users, asylum seekers, refugees, um, you know, I've, yeah, mixed bag, um, South Americans. So, um, it, yeah, it has been a mixed bag. It's fun. I'm quite good at my accents now. I'm always very good at going, where's, where's that, where's that, where's that, where's that accent from? Or where's your name from? But ironically, when I moved to Ireland, I found the Irish names the hardest. And I remember I'd be coming out of clinic, my clinic room to call the names. And I have to say to the nurses, how do I pronounce this? Um, you know, because they're so challenging, the Celtic names sometimes. Yeah, they're totally different. I know that. And um, well, yeah, the Irish names. I, I've I've seen that a little bit. And I'm like, I don't even know that in Welsh. I think Welsh is is difficult to pronounce something. Yeah, like I, I'll read books with Welsh names and I'm like okay I just I have no idea and if I can't pronounce a name in my brain when I'm reading a book it drives me nuts and so I have to like go and research like okay how do you pronounce this and you know just so that I can make sure there's some continuity in my in my reading so a little particular thing about me so <laughs> okay do you have you read a lot of Welsh books then because I'm just over the border so it's funny he say that and I went to med school in Wales so um, yeah oh that's wonderful so it, it comes easily do you speak Welsh also no no, no. Uh, I could speak a few words. I could say like, um, oh, I'm tired and uh, cheers, <laughs> probably. And uh, that might be it now. My Welsh has dwindled, but no, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a totally different different language. It's fascinating to me, super fascinating. So 
how like when you say you're good at accents, you're you're good at understanding where they're from. Is that correct? Working out where people are from, or, or yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm quite that's good a really Nigerians interesting skill to have. Ones. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not as good as it used to be, but um, yeah. So I'm I'm or you know the area, but I, I yeah I, I kind of go what. Where's your accent from, or where's your name from now? So you know, because you know, if you say to a Canadian, "Are you American?" Well, obviously that's like obviously you know, not obviously. right. And if you say to an Irish person, "Are you English?" that they're going to explode. So <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a that's a really fun skill to have gained. You know, just and I'm sure it's something you never thought. Oh, this is something that I want to have someday. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's funny because I'm I'm back in Chester and I you know looking at schools for my children and um you know I want them to have that exposure too and you know it's 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 much more mixed than when I was growing up but not so much and certain areas aren't so much so um it's um you know because I think it's wonderful to be mixed to exposed to different cultures and languages and um you know yeah so I that's something I have to navigate in the future <laughs> And that was kind of led me to my next question, you know, having been because obviously you've traveled to different places, right? Mm. So how has it been to assimilate within the culture of of the area? Has that been difficult at all? Um, I'm not sure I fully assimilated. So it's funny. I don't know whether I ever feel like I belong. You know, I I was doing medicine and I always felt on the fringes and, and maybe that's just a product of my upbringing. But I don't know that I've I don't certainly where I've ended up back I would never have expected to end up back in Chester and it's it's not my place I mean it it was the right move at the right time but um you know yeah it's probably have I assimilated it I'm probably quite different to a lot of the other mums here I'm probably a lot, lot older um because I had my children older and that you know that was just the way my life had panned out basically um but um I often feel like I don't belong and I'm just going to be open about that. And that's probably also why I write because I'm looking for my soul tribe and I'm looking for those connections. And I know that I'm not the only one like that, you know? Yeah. I And that's interesting because I've struggled with feeling belonging in, in certain times of my life. And I think that's something that I would imagine most people go through at some point in their life. So what have you done done to um to help you feel like you've belonged because it's you know you say that now and and you have talked with me earlier about mm. um not feeling that belonging in your your work area. So can you dive a little bit deeper into that and how that was a struggle for you? Yes, it was a huge it's a huge piece of sadness for me and there was a lot of grief because I it was a an environment that I had loved you know it was a place that I'd gone I'd bit back and forth to London Dublin for years it was a place that I'd gone back to do a PhD and then to go back as a consultant and I you know I'd loved it I I when I first moved to love Dublin I loved it I'd lived in London for a long time I had a great social life I'd worked at it because you know when you move country and I was on my own you dynamics change you don't have that history you don't have things you can fall back onto so my um attitude was that was I just went to everything I got invited to basically and was like right I'm gonna try things um which is good in a way but it was also lonely in another way um but the work environment it's it's a yeah it's a huge piece of sadness for me it's um 
ended up into an unpleasant toxic environment and bullying um and I wasn't the only one um that experienced it and I think it's it's sad because often these things don't need to get to that point you know um at the beginning they're often subtle and a lot of people will put them as, uh, across as personality issues and that's what I found very hard was that it wasn't personality issues there was something going on and that you know they're not dealt with properly and with the right people they can be handled much better so I'm going to use somebody else's words I remember going to a talk by the governor of one of the big prisons in Dublin Mountjoy prison brilliant guy great talk and he it was a talk about bullying in a hotel in Dublin and I remember him saying at the beginning look it's often very subtle and you can't quantify you don't have these quantifiable things and if like me you're sensitive you know that something's up and, you, and how do you verbalize that and you know people want specifics and you can't and I remember him saying if it makes you feel uncomfortable then it's not right um but you know also that the individuals that do this are often clever um they're versed at it you know they target certain people and um you know they're different to different people as we all are um so I think my sadness about it is is that I just wanted to go to work and feel safe and that I had some dignity there and that um you know I didn't really want any um anything bad to happen to anybody but I wanted it to be dealt with and I wanted people to get the help and support that they needed because you know we know that people act out or misbehave because of trauma or things that have happened and it doesn't just stop it continues so the more people that let it happen or don't say no or don't say this individual needs help or what can we do or, or psychology they're just enabling that um and you know and that's what happens and unfortunately in the healthcare setting i don't know what it's like in the us but um uk and ireland these things just tend to get brushed under the carpet and if you're the individual saying there's an issue nobody wants to hear and often you get targeted um if you progress this so i think that's that's the shame about it is that you know it didn't need to get to this point and i'm certainly not somebody who will be like oh my goodness i tend to go with solutions uh, of you know um psychology and external people in and training because as this the, the governor of mount and i can't remember his name said workplaces become toxic <clears throat> and that's what happened you know it's it's war the whole place becomes toxic and it's like you know i've looked after plenty of individuals who have personality disorders and there's certain ones if, if they came in onto the ward the whole place would be disrupted like the whole ward it would just the one individual coming in would disrupt the whole ward it would just be chaos you know they had that influence and impact and so it's like that in workplaces um so I think that's my say shame and sadness about it is that it doesn't need to get to this point and I remember talking to people and they were like well you can't change people and I was like I understand that but you can make them take responsibility for the way they make other people feel um and the the impact that their behavior has on people you know if you're having a bad day it's not okay to take it out on somebody else and you know plenty of people do that um so yes that I suppose I'm talking broad terms but that's kind of my feeling about it you know it's it's not to muddling but it's saying these, these things they happen all over they happen in all schools over. they happen in workplaces they happen in families and you know how do we deal with it better rather than you know what 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 often happens is you know victims leave get traumatized careers get affected individuals then go on to continue in other workplaces you know it costs workplaces far less 
to just rehabilitate and get people in and get people back on rather than the amount of time and energy that's spent on trying to further victimize a victim and not deal with somebody who's not behaved well and the enablers because you know often for me it's the people that have stood by and watched and haven't taken action or have you know the ghosting and the gaslighting um so you know I think that's a shame and I think that's something um that could massively be improved um and I remember this guy you know Governor Mountjoy saying you know if you're not being listened to then you just have to leave because it's not going to get better um, but, you know, a lot of people aren't in a position to leave. They've got families or finances or by the point it gets to that point, they're unwell. They have, I mean, I had ended up with PTSD, you know, have PTSD, mental health issues. And, you know, when you're in that position, going to an interview and going somewhere new, it, it's just, you know, it's it's not possible. Difficult, right? I yeah. I love this saying that I've heard many times that it hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And it, and it, it, it is a cycle. So I'm... I'm fascinated and I, I feel bad that you have experiences, but, but I think you're right. It's very, very common. I have worked in toxic places and it is not a fun thing. You know, it is really difficult to get up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I have to do this another day and then another day. So how did you prepare yourself every day to go through that? I mean, eventually you left, but but when you're in it, how how did you help yourself get through it? Well, I think the only reason I managed for so long was because I was working part time and because I wrote and I coached, you know, and I think that is what helped me to function. I mean, I remember one of my colleagues saying who was in the similar boat saying that they used to sit on the bed, you know, because we we do ward rounds on a weekend and they used to sit on the bed on a Saturday for the ward round to cry, you know, like before going in and um you know, I think it, it's tough. You know, how do you? You know, I, I don't know that there is a particular way. I mean, the only thing that got me through for so long, and I don't know whether that was the right thing, was that I worked part time and I wrote and I coached. Um, but and whilst it get me, got me to a certain point, you know, I still ended up with PTSD and it, and it wasn't able to cure that. I needed to go um, to have a formal diagnosis, which took me about two years to get, unfortunately. And um, the what worked for me was the EMDR, um, you know, the, the, that really did transform it for me to move forward and, you know, to be able to talk to you about it now. That's really powerful. So what I heard you say is you had other outlets, you had a creative outlet, you had an outlet where you could talk to other people, um, not necessarily, but it sounds like you did therapy as well too. So you're helping other people, you've got a creative outlet and you are getting help yourself. So that's that's a really great formula. And it's still, you're still dealing with the effects of it, right? I, I've done EMDR therapy. It is so powerful. And I have found really, really great release of trauma that I've experienced in, in my own life. And so I think it's fantastic that that you went that route. Um, what did you find the best thing about EMDR? I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Um, so it is a bit like EFT. Um, I, 
I don't know. Actually, can you, I'm going to pause. Can you explain what it is? Because there may be people listening who are like, what's EMDR? So could you explain what that's like, at least for in your experience? Okay. So um, I don't know what the exact term is, but it's rapid eye movement desensitization therapy, I think. And um, for me, um, it was talking about, so for me, there was lots of things, but it hinged on a uh, an incident um, that was that I had hoped would transform it, the situation for the better, but that actually ended up being incredibly traumatic for me. Um, and you know, there's no need to go into the particulars of that. And um, a lot of there was a lot of time focused on that. And it was funny um, at that point. It was COVID. I'd had my son. I was incredibly unwell. I actually ended up getting birth trauma because I had PTSD going into the birth, but that's a separate issue. And um, we um so I remember talking through it talking about it and she'd made me tap so I was just like tapping like this because it was on camera um now with my birth trauma I think she used the finger more so I was following um the finger um so the different therapists but um yes it was talking about at the worst the instance at the worst and doing this and it kind of they don't know exactly how it works but it kind of re-scrambles the brain in a way is the only way I can think of it um because prior to that I wouldn't have been able to talk to you about this and not cry and I wouldn't be able to talk about my you know first child's birth and how I was without crying um you know it's still sad and it still upsets me but I'm able to talk about it and to function and move forward um which is you know something I mean after after that yeah after that therapy I started making plans for the future and I put weight on I was seven and a half stone and you know wanted to be dead um at that point with a young child um so that really helped and and you know I had it went back for birth therapy with my daughter um because prior to getting pregnant I knew that that it hadn't been resolved and um I was having nightmares so when I was pregnant I was having nightmares about giving birth and you know I had a pleasurable birth it didn't have the the home birth or the water birth that I wanted but you know it wasn't that fear of flight to flight that I had um, you know imagined or that I'd experienced with the first one so you've did you get into EFT so EFT is um oh my goodness I I've done EFT for over 20 years about 20 years um and I'm forgetting what it stands for all the emotional freedom technique (laughs) thank you emotional I'm like I knew it you know I've done it for years but (laughs) so how so did you get into EFT after so this is otherwise known as tapping you got into that before so you're kind of familiar with that so tell us about your journey with with EFT those modalities yeah okay well the EFT was a funny one um I I remember I remember going to this um, psychic reader and he was talking to me about relationships because I, you know, I wanted to meet somebody. And he was like, you know, you self-sabotage. And, you know, there'll be, I shouldn't say this, there'll be an attractive guy on the corner and a short guy, short ball guy. And you'll go with the short ball guy because you don't think you're good enough. And I thought, I don't, I don't. So I was like, well, I need to do something about this. So I went online and looked at tapping videos. I can't remember why now. Um, and started doing some tapping videos on that. And then I started following this woman called Margaret Lynch, who has this video called um, Tapping for $50,000. And I thought, well, I'll do this because who doesn't want more money? So right. <laughs> I started following her. And um, it was, I think it was, I was doing my PhD. So it might be towards the end. And I was due to go back to London. And she had an event. And I thought, you know, I'd like to go to this. But it was in Boston. And I was in the the well, Ireland, UK. And I thought, that's crazy. Like, you know, I 
I can't do something like that. So I put it out to the universe and said, look, if I'm meant to go, I'm going to get a free ticket to this event because I'm not paying to go as well as flying. Anyway, I ended up getting a free ticket. I bought the book and with her tapping into wealth book, you got a free ticket. And it was just one of those things where everything aligned. I managed to get the time off work. I was moving back to London. I got the time off. I literally went for three, four days for the event. I might have gone for a day before um, on my own. So I felt crazy. And, um, you know, I got reasonable flights and booked into the hotel and was incredibly triggered there. I was like, what the hell? Everyone's, you know, a coach. And I'm just like this doctor coming for this this retreat and they're all really intense um anyway I signed up for her package which for me was a big investment you know um and I, I remember signing up and crying in the toilets and some random person held me whilst I cried and um I did the program and part of that was you know there was a lot of tapping in it and um it also included with tapping into our um coach training and I just thought it'd be silly to not do it so I, I finished I think I finished my PhD or in between. I took a bit of time off to write up my PhD because it was just a bit intense. And I thought, look, I need a bit of time. Um, and in that time period, I did tapping into wealth training. And that's what got me coaching. Now, during the one year of the program, they kept just saying, oh, you know, you should coach. And I was like, but how and what? So that gave me the framework um, to yeah, start coaching, basically. So while you were going through your your toxic work environment, you mm. were also coaching using emotional freedom tech technique or yeah. tapping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. And I can see how that would ground you in a way to deal with, you know, that, that toxic environment. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to explain just a little bit for those people who are listening, who don't know what EFT is. It's, it's, you are, um, it's it's a it's a brain recalibration really and where you are tapping on certain meridian points of your body to basically it's uh, the way i understand it is you've got blocks right and you are just like opening the doors to those those gates that have been shut and and i do think that it is related to emdr therapy and that's been i've i've done a little bit of um combination on that too so it's um it's been really, really beneficial for me. So um, that's that's really fascinating. So how you said you went through, you know, this the therapy to get over that. So how did you break your own pattern of um, of that sadness and that shame that, you know, having gone through the the bullying at work and that toxic environment? So it, uh, you know, I think it's tough and it's taken me uh, quite a long time. And, um, you know, it's it's taken a lot of work, you know. So a lot of that goes back to ancestral family stuff of, you know, um, girls in the family, female side, know your place and money's not for you. And, you know, that was the whole underpin of my life was, you know, and why I've been single for so long and I'd attracted in relationships where I wasn't treated as I wanted and you know at one point I knew that the issue was me and not the relate the men that you know it, it was me something in me um it's taken a long time and I think the EMDR helped all the work that I did helped the writing helped I did a bit of Vedic art painting I think it just all came together with maturity you know I just kept on going and and working and and doing stuff and then eventually uh, I feel like the last year 18 months I was like okay, you know, I am good enough and I do love myself. Um, 
but it's taken this long, you know, 40 plus years to get to that point where I can say that. And, you know, I don't think it's overnight, even even if you want to do it, you know, when you try and do those affirmations and you're not aligned, it can be really unpleasant, you know, and you try and force it. Um, so it is a time and space thing. Um, and also, you know, seeing things clearly, you know, I think one of the big things is being able to see things clearly. Um, because often we, we're not, we can't, because to survive certain situations, we have to cloud things. Otherwise we just wouldn't be able to cope. Um, you know, and and that's a coping mechanism. I think probably also um, having my own children. You know, I certainly do not want this stuff passing down to them. And, you know, I want to be, you know, as good as I can be as a mother, you know, as emotionally available as I can be and emotionally aware and attuned to them. Um, and I know at the beginning with my first, I, I was not in a good place. And, um, you know, the EMGL really helped me with that guilt over that because I had a lot of guilt about about that um you know I desperately wanted you know I'd wanted the child for a very long time but it wasn't the way I wanted it to be um and you know I have a huge amount of sadness about the PTSD not being diagnosed because I would have gone and paid for help if I had known and, and I remember going you know I had seen psychiatrists I was going to occupational health I'd seen medical health services I was going to psychiatry at the maternity hospital and I remember going to that psychiatrist at maternity hospital and saying you know send me to a psychologist I don't want to feel like this so I didn't know I had PTSD you know and I'm a doctor I, I had presumed it was like you were you were you'd been to war and that that was who had it I didn't realize that something like that could do it um I didn't realize that um you know women after losing children have PTSD you know it's it's mm -hmm. the the, you know the amount of how how common it is and you know I'm clearly not the only one because I've had plenty of medical professionals friends colleagues who are like just get over it just come back to work you know uh, all of this stuff and you know that's the sad sadness about it you know sort yourself out um and anyway remember the psychiatrist saying well look we don't want people to return to those workplaces and be resilient but nobody would do me a supporting letter or anything like that or um you know and and so nobody had mentioned it or, you know, I think I might have had one or two anxiety, depression screens, but nobody had screened me properly for it. And so that's my, the sadness now is that I didn't need to get to that point. It could have been nipped in the bud. And even like I say, the prop, there wasn't psychology in the hospital at that point, but at least then I would have been in a position to decide whether or not I wanted to pay for it. Um, and it would have been something I would have chosen to invest or, you know, maybe an avenue to look at, at, at doing that or, or getting it you know for people who can't um can't afford because like certainly the psychiatric psychiatric hospitals in Dublin um have a lot of alternative therapies so I think that's my the sadness about it and I've experienced things like that too when when I look back and I I go oh if only I'd known this you know but gosh we can do that all day long mm -hmm. you know and we can um beat ourselves up for things that that we didn't know. But I think the real value is knowing that once you did know you did something about it. And and there is value in in just knowing things, you know, and um putting forth that effort to learn it. One of my favorite um oh, it's one of my mantras, I guess, is after having gone through, you know, some some really dark times and having to 
really dig deep to find, you know, uncloud things like you were talking yeah. about, you know, um, they were, it was hard to, to get that clarity. Right. And, and yeah. to accept it. But I, I really learned that honesty, I think you could substitute clarity is, yeah. is the precursor to freedom, right? You yeah. free yourself from that heavy weighted cloud by seeing it for what it really is and dealing with it rather than just carrying it with you, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know, there are a lot of people who can't do that, who won't be able yeah. to do it. And, it. and it happens at the right time. And certainly there are a huge amount of individuals that I looked after who were never going to be able to do that, um, you know, because of what they've been through or because of their coping skills and their, their life skills, you know? Um, yes, absolutely. So you've talked a little bit about this mind-body connection, and we've mm. alluded it to it mm. through EMDR and through the, mm. the tapping and all that. Can you dive a little bit more into, you know, from your perspective as a doctor and seeing yes. the things that you've seen, you know, what what evidence have you found of this connection? I, I think it's generally accepted, but I'm curious if you've had any personal experiences with this that you're just like, oh my gosh, this is like, real. Okay. So, you know, I am not like most doctors and it depends on the speciality. So the the sexual health and HIV field would be a more different and open field and probably a bit more holistic, but certainly in the field of sexual health, I'll talk about the HIV in a minute. We know there's a lot of mind body connections. So, you know, this is sexually transmitted infections and that stuff. And, you know, you see quite a lot of young men coming in saying that they're having problems with erectile dysfunction or not being able to be intimate with a partner and then you know you, you do the questions and you know one of the first ones is are you wake up with erections and you know you you know usually when they say yes you know that that's not a physical thing there's a psychological thing going on there so it might well be you have you know you delve a bit deep it may well be it's a new partner that they actually really like or they don't like or there's something going on in the relationship um, it's often similar with some men when they have discharge and you've done the screening and there's no STIs and then you're digging deeper and you're finding out that they might have cheated on a partner or they've got a partner at home they cheated on who's pregnant and all of this stuff and they're convinced they've got something. Um, so it's a, it's an area of medicine where you you see these things and how they manifest um, from, from an STI point of view. But um, like with the HIV side, you know, I, I looked after individuals who um you know had terrible addiction problems may have been homeless psychiatric problems but you know if you look at their upbringings you know many had been sexually abused um you know I remember being told stories of being sexually abused and sitting in a bath afterwards and you know and all of this stuff they grew up in areas where you know someone would be walking on sheets of needles you know there was a lot of poverty a lot of illiteracy you know uh neglectful parents at the best or, or you know abusive parents um you know children being given sleeping tablets and benzos and things and they really stood no chance of another life you know there was no you know it, it's the exception rather than the rule that somebody breaks after that you know if you're that's what you're used to that's what you brought up with that's your conditioning you've got no money that's what you're surrounded with all the way all, all every day how do you break out of that you know, especially if you've got huge amounts of trauma, you you don't. It's the exception to the rule. Um, and so, you know, takes me back to, you know, the coaching and the books of, you know, um, you know, it would be a revolving door for some of these guys. And, you know, very sad. Um, 
but you weren't going I wasn't going to be able to change that you know it, it just wasn't what was was you could give them the tablets and this that and the other but often it was more than that you know it wasn't just you know the, the tablets so it was, it was the social stuff or this that and the other and you know they weren't really going to ever deal with with things and um you know, I th- I kind of feel sometimes with a healthcare setting, you know, um, a lot of it, um, you know, could could do with being more holistic. You know, and a lot of it's about the individual. And you know, I, I used to have right. people come to me, and I, I didn't even connect Game as Health Service. And I'd have people come to me from the other hospital saying, you know, we wanted to come and talk, I want to come and talk to you. Um, so yes, I saw it firsthand of how that manifested basically um in, in people's lives and relationships and and everything you know the same with um like a parent who's had sexual trauma or been abused or, or raped you can see how that fear gets passed down generations to the next generation of the shame or the guilt it, it just it's subconscious and you know that the kids pick up on it and then they have alters their uh perception and relationships with regard to healthy sexuality and healthy relationships and and it does get passed on that's so fascinating to me, you know, because I, I believe that, you know, and it's, but I haven't seen that in a, in the medical field, and so I, I think that's, I'm grateful for you to sharing, sharing your experiences with us about that, how you know it, it really is connected, and you cannot get away from that because we are spiritual beings in a, a physical body, you know, it, it just that's just the way it works. So that's super, super fascinating. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your purpose. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. you've, you've, you've morphed and I think that's very normal and it's, and I, I really loved understanding what your journey has looked like. And I don't think anybody's journey is all roses you know we all go through trials and struggles and they're very very unique to each one of us so I'm wondering you know what what you see now as your life purpose like what's you know because obviously you've you've changed so much so you've got your coaching and your writing that you you do those two primarily now right so I haven't done any coaching for a while, so I'm okay. opening up that space. So um, my youngest is going to be two. So the last, I mean, the last year I've kind of got back on my feet, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the the medicine is, uh, I don't know, uh, long term. Um, and obviously life has changed because I have children now. So, you know, at the time I, I didn't. Um, but at the moment I focused on the books and seeing where that goes, I... I'm feeling that no I would like to open up the coaching so you know I'm open for the right coaching client up until now it's always been people coming to me and I haven't really advertised and gone out Um, part of that's been energetic part of that's just been the space that I've been and um, you know I probably wouldn't be somebody who'd be having like 20 clients a month because it's just the energetics for me and the time management of um, that's the way it works but I am yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that again, opening that space up. You know, obviously things are different when I did it last. So I, I do a bit more kind of pendulum dowsing work, but it's really an individual thing of whatever people come up with. So I've had people worked on love with people. Um, I worked on money. So originally it was money coaching, but it, it's, it's not really about the money. The money is all about, the, you know, their belief system. 
the last time I was up coaching was, you know, I was working, I worked with the family. It was great. So I did the mum, dad and the kids and it was it was wonderful, you know, because I missed working with younger people. You know, I, I used to enjoy that about my job. Um, so, yes, at the moment, I have a second book coming out, hopefully February, March of next year. My first book is out. I've got lots of books. So I've been writing for 13 years um, and I would like to release some of the older ones and um, I also have some adult books that I'd like to do and you know this book's coming up for my kids so as my kids are getting older that I want to write children's books for them you know so that's exciting um for coaching and yeah seeing I'm, I'm open to seeing where the road takes me really well and isn't it awesome that you know you've we go through life and there are moments where it's full steam ahead and other times where you have fallen back. And, and what I see is somebody who has, you know, taken a step back and is moving forward in a space of knowing who you are and being very, very intentional about your time and how you spend it and how you want your, your energy to be gathered and spread. Right. So is that, did I, did I? Absolutely. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's wonderful. I mean, when I went back as a consultant um, last time, I was part-time. I mean, I had periods of being full-time, but that was a conscious choice for me because I wanted to pursue my other interests. You know, I wanted to pursue my writing and my coaching and, and have time for me. You know, I knew that if I carried on working as I had, I was going to be single forever and not have children. And that wasn't, the way I wanted my life to go um and you know again it's it's like the same I like variety so even when I was working as a doctor I had lots of different jobs I like variety um but I also like space too (laughs) um and I have young children so I do want to spend time with them I don't want them to be um looked after somebody else all the time even though it's hard work (laughs) it is so given your experience Hmm. And, you know, your training and and everything that you've gone through, what can you share with us a bit of wisdom that you have learned through your journey? For me, it's about community and connection. So, you know, I want to say people are wonderful. That's what came to my head. It's about community and connection. That's really what I'm feeling right now. And it's taken me a long time, as you said, to to get back home to me and who I am and what makes me happy um you know I spent a lot of time trying to please other people and do what I was meant to do and perceived of me and now it's really about I think choosing to be happier in the simple it's not all about the you know the expensive holidays and this that and the other but it's also about connections with like-minded people and community and um you know getting out there so I really want to inspire and bring magic to people. You know, there might be dark bits. So, you know, I'm not saying my books aren't dark. Um, You know, there are dark bits there. But I also, I love change. I love transformation. And that happens with both the books and coaching. And, you know, it happened with the medicine as well. You know, know, it would be wonderful when you saw people that had come on and transformed their lives, Um, you know, and that come when they're unwell and maybe you know come and had a baby with us and then you know those families developing so I like transformation change and to see people grow I'm a change agent really right I that's really beautiful how you've been able to um 
morph that into into your books too. So I want to try uh, something new. I haven't done this before in my podcast, and I'm I'm so grateful for what you have shared and okay. and your experience and and being willing to talk with us a little bit about some of your darker moments and what you've learned from that. But I wanted to end on a little bit of a, a lighter note and give you three rapid fire questions. These are just short okay. answers. And um, just, I thought, just thought it would be fun. So, um, and it helps us to get you, get to know you in just a little bit different light. So here's the first one. What is one thing that you wish you enjoyed more? So I wish I enjoyed um, the immediate period after having my first child a bit more. I, I was just really like, oh my goodness, what's just happened? Uh, what am I doing? And shell-shocked after the birth so I kind of look back and go you know it was a wonderful time and you know they were a beautiful baby and I did enjoy it but I wish um I wish I enjoyed it a little bit more yeah taking taking that a little bit differently um what movie do you enjoy quoting the most so I don't really quote movies that much I was thinking about this but or tv show you that that will count because I'm not I'm not much of a tv watcher but I know some people are more than movies a quote that I use a lot that drives my husband crazy and I used to go to my patients a lot and it's not in a movie or TV is, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And my husband's always like, oh my goodness. And I'd say it to my patients and they'd be like, I half of them didn't really get what I'm saying. So I was like, really? You know? <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I had a lot of fun with them. So there were a lot of jokes and there were a lot of fun right. and there was a lot of laughter. But, you know, um, we used to get our toilet seat stolen. So um, I go anywhere now and I'm like, where's my handbag? That's where's so my random. <laughs> used to get the toilet seat straight stolen. So I'm everywhere I go, I'm like, coat, coat, handbag, where are things? And my husband's like, what? Because he just leaves stuff. I'm like, how can you just leave stuff? You know? Right. <laughs> okay, last one. What is something on your bucket list and why is it there? Okay, so I've always wanted to do a hot air balloon over the Serengeti. And I haven't done a hot air balloon because a friend of mine... Um, went did a big trip around Africa and she said oh I've done one over the Serengeti and I was like oh my goodness no I have to do one over the Serengeti because nowhere else is going to compare and I haven't made right. it to the Serengeti yet <laughs> so yeah well fantastic I hope you get to do that thank, thank you. you so much for taking your time to to be with us here today I learned a lot today and thank I you. I really appreciate it. I love learning I love understanding where people come from and the different experiences that they have, because there's so much to, there's so much knowledge out there to gain, you know, and if we share it, so it's wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you for chatting. It's been fun. (laughs) It has been. And for those of you who listening, who are listening, please remember that your purpose is in your story until next time. We'll see you. Bye.